the act of asking shows that you care that this is important enough for you to be uncomfortable as well, right? To take a risk yourself. And I think young people really do appreciate that. It goes even with the extreme cases of, you know, we think asking about suicide, asking about thoughts of harming yourself are really taboo, really uncomfortable, could really blow up. In a lot of cases, even if someone has not been thinking about that at all, they take it as a real sign of care. And they feel really loved and cared about that someone thought to ask just how they're doing about something that is really prevalent and a concern among young people these days. Welcome to Rise and Lead. I'm Benjamin Lundquist, and this podcast is all about personal growth and leadership. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our Rise and Lead community. We are a community of leaders who are passionate about growth, leadership, and expanding our impact on the world. My guest today is Dr. Aaron Rosales, and our conversation is all about the mental health crisis among teenagers and young adults today, and how we as leaders can better engage, respond, and support the next generation. Aaron is the Director of Mental Health at Brio, a nonprofit that partners with communities to design and launch well-being initiatives in low-resource contexts globally. He is passionate about promoting mental health for all people Aaron has a wealth of experience applying psychological research and skills into real-world practice in churches, universities, police departments, and community organizations across the globe. He completed his clinical psychology PhD at Fuller Theological Seminary and his postdoctoral training at Stanford University. The majority If not all of us know that teenagers and young adults are struggling today. We just don't always know what to do in response. This episode will give you the confidence and tools to do something, which could mean the difference between life and death. Thank you for leaning into this important conversation. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. The Rise and Lead podcast is being downloaded in about 115 countries around the world. The podcast is designed specifically to motivate and equip you to live your greatest life with maximum impact. We are going to find out what makes great leaders great and how you can start growing yourself, rise, expanding your impact, lead, and living the life that you have been created to live. I want to personally invite you to be a rise and lead partner in spreading the word about this podcast and all the episodes that will follow so together we can reach more people. To support the podcast and help our team continue producing content, remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can get all the episodes that release every month. Rate the podcast. I'm always going for a five-star rating. 
If you think Rise and Lead deserves five stars, I would greatly appreciate that. Leave a written review if you haven't done so already. And finally, share about Rise and Lead with your family, your friends, and your social media network. Screenshot this episode on the mental health crisis among teenagers and young adults and send it to someone or text somebody the episode link. You are helping people rise to their next level by connecting them to an episode. And when you share about the podcast on your social media platforms, make sure you tag me and I will always try and give you a repost. This is an important episode, and I like to start each episode with prayer, so let's pray together. God, we know the next generation is struggling. We also know that for many of us, we are struggling too. Speak some life into us today so we can do the same thing for others and empower us to be present in the moments that matter most. Amen. According to the Center for Disease Control, in reflecting on the last year, 40% of high school students reported experiencing poor mental health during the pandemic, and close to 50% reported persistently feeling sad or hopeless during the past year. And then you add to that reality, over 50% of teens were experiencing some form of abuse in their home during the last year. The deputy director of the CDC makes this statement, the pandemic has created traumatic stressors that have the potential to further erode students' mental well-being. Our research, however, shows that surrounding youth with the proper support can reverse these trends and help our youth now and in the future. As we start this conversation, I want you to pause for a moment And think about a teenager or young adult who you deeply care about. Say their name, picture their face, and imagine the future you hope they'll have. Make this episode personal. The mental health crisis among teenagers and young adults is a crisis for all of us. Let's jump in to my conversation with Dr. Aaron Rosales. Why do you feel like this is such a crucial conversation for us to be having? I think that's a great entry point. And, you know, the Surgeon General of the U.S. would agree with you that the young people are in a mental health crisis right now. And I think that grabs our attention. But the reality is, it's long been important. It's always been important, I would say. And for me, that stems from my faith and a belief that we are whole people and we are called to love God with our whole selves, our body, minds, and souls. And we need to pay attention to the mind. We need to pay attention to what's going on within. And that's really important part of 
young people's lives developing and growing up in a life of loving God. And so I think it really is as simple as that. But at the same time, it is more and more difficult. I think it's more and more difficult to grow up today as a young person, compounded with all of the intense COVID-related challenges, all the things that are in the media. It is really hard right now. And I think we need to pay some extra special attention. When you hear the word anxiety, how do you define anxiety? And then also, if a young person were to describe what anxiety means to them, what would be the difference between how a young person describes anxiety and what the clinical definition might be of anxiety? This is really critical. So if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little bit of time to unpack it because I think that's such an important question. When I'm talking about anxiety, I think it's helpful to backtrack a little bit and start with the basic definition of stress. All of us face stress. Life is full of stressful events that happen. And what I mean by stress is something that puts us off balance. It's as simple as that. It's kind of a biological-based thing. It can be positive or negative. If we're feeling really happy and excited about something, we're out of balance and our body does some things to try to regulate and to get back to balance. If we're feeling pretty sad, that's out of balance and that's a stress reaction. Our body tries to work to get back to balance. And stress is unavoidable. It happens to all of us and our body kind of naturally tries to find that balance. However, it can start to move beyond that at times and a psychological level can enter the scene. And I'll call that like first stage of psychological stress more like worry. It can start to worry a lot about all the what ifs. What if I had done this? What if I do this? What will happen? Kind of, is everything going to be okay? What if this never gets better? All those sorts of worries are also pretty natural. Our brain like gives us lots of those. We see a lot of worries in the scriptures as well. And I think it's just kind of a regular part of life that can sometimes be helpful. It can help us to plan. It can help us to problem solve and to find solutions before things get really out of control. However, when I start to talk about anxiety from a clinical sense as a psychologist, that's when I see the biological, the body-based stress and the mental stress of worry start to really interact more, feed off each other and grow. And that's when it kind of becomes a cycle where we get caught in our worries, caught in our stress. And the stress cycle just keeps going and building to the point where it really gets in the way of living fully engaged in our life without being under control of anxiety. However, that's kind of a different definition, I would say, than what a lot of young people are saying when they say anxiety. Some people mean that. But I've noticed that more and more young people are using the word anxiety as a catch-all term for Mm. just mental health difficulties. I think it's become quite common, acceptable to talk about being anxious as a way of saying things aren't quite right. And that can capture feelings of sadness, of depression, can refer to traumatic experiences. It can refer to kind of relational difficulties, to big questions about identity. And all of that can kind of come under the umbrella of anxiety because I think it's a safer word these days. A lot of people are talking about it. It can feel really comforting for a lot of young people, for a lot of us in general, to have a label. 
to have a way to describe what our experience is. And that can be comforting because it kind of makes something that felt unknown, more known, more tangible. It can give us a sense of why something is happening and maybe even what we can do. However, you know, I think we maybe are a little more inclined these days to throw out the labels in an unhelpful way, maybe a little bit prematurely, maybe a little bit casually. And especially for young people, I think we need to be careful about this because if it becomes a part of their identity and this really critical part of growing up and understanding who they are, it can be hard to have that be something that isn't deeply intertwined in their sense of self. And so that's where I tend to be a little bit cautious about using some of these labels. Instead, I really try to focus more on describing the experience, noticing what's going on, what's contributing to it, and being able to tap into that part of a young person's experience rather than relying on a label to capture it. Can you give us a little snapshot of what young people have been experiencing in the last two and a half years? A lot of challenges, a lot of challenges. And right from the very beginning, we were seeing young people like immediately say that things got hard for them. And a lot of that had to do with all of the disruptions that were happening globally in terms of schooling, in terms of access to friends and community, in terms of being more confined at home in family situations that are sometimes quite challenging. A lot of that really spiked stress for young people. And as a result, loneliness shot up, depression shot up, anxiety shot up. All of these things have contributed to an already difficult time in our history. Young people are already worried about rising suicide rates with young people. They're worried about what they're seeing on social media sometimes. They're worried about comparison and finding identity and belonging with their peers and in the broader world. It's a turbulent time and adding this big extra curveball of COVID didn't simplify matters. I think the reality is as time has gone on, that level of stress, that level of pressure has just worn us all down. But young people are being hit even harder by it all. And so as that continues, all that resiliency that we like to talk about young people having is getting depleted. We're entering a stage where things are feeling a little bit more chronic and it's a lot to hold. I think a big piece for young people is always this sense of belonging and finding a sense of who they are, of what matters to them in the world. And as there has been a little bit more disconnection from time with peers, that has continued to be a challenge. And the loneliness is a pressure that is building there. Young people are also increasingly caring about some of the big issues that our world faces. The number of young people that are really stressed about things like climate change, about the future of our nation, about global wars and violence, about gender and sexuality, about economic prospects. All of these things are these kind of larger existential pressures that many young people are not just being influenced by, but are actively thinking about and actively worrying about. And I see that as an increasing pressure these days as well. Then there's this element of social media 
I think it's a tool. It can be used for positive and also destructive means at times. But the reality is a lot of the things that trend and that get spread have kind of this emotional content and layer to them. There's this whole phenomenon that's growing now that's referred to as trauma talk, like TikTok, but trauma talk. It's like Mm. the more you can actually share something that has like traumatic, emotionally charged content, the more likely it is to get views and to be shared and spread. And so there's also an extra layer of exposure to potentially difficult emotional material that's happening as well. What kind of tools can be offered to a young person who is feeling that kind of weight? You know, a lot of times with these large pressures of things that feel like they are beyond us and that quite frankly, a lot of times adults in society are telling young people are, are not within their power to do anything about. I think they've make us feel like we're out of control or at least like we don't have any control and that can make us feel pretty helpless. can make us start to feel pretty stuck. And I think young people get that pressure a, a lot more. So one of the things I like to do is to start looking for what are some of the pieces that they can control? Maybe they can't fix everything in one fell swoop, but maybe important change starts with identifying what is truly important to you and what's one small thing you can do about that today. And so if it's climate change, right? If that really matters and they're finding themselves full of eco-anxiety, as we're calling it now, Maybe it starts with, well, what's one small thing I can do today? I can do something like make sure I recycle, right? I can do one small thing so I know that I'm doing my part and taking one step forward. And that can actually relieve a lot of that pressure because it helps us to feel like we're moving, helps us to feel like we're doing something important that matters and making progress, that we're not stuck and just drowning in all of the existential dread. And I think that's just an important reminder to all of us that if we want to support young people better, we have to make time for young people. Absolutely. And, and you're right, it does take that time and attention. I speak in generals in this conversation, right? It's like young people in general care about these things, but each young person is unique. Yep. They have their own passions. They have their own interests. And I think helping them, being a support to them, sometimes means just listening, asking good questions that help us to reflect on what does truly matter. What do they care about? And I think that that is a really pivotal step to unlocking change and hopeful, engaged life. Aaron, do you have a few questions that are your go-tos that are just really good questions when somebody has the chance to sit down with a young person? There's a whole range of them. You know, I think sometimes I like asking simple questions like, just what gets you excited? What makes you excited about the next day? What do you wake up for? Sometimes when young people are in more pain, when they're struggling more, I like to approach it from the reverse side of what is that pain? What is that stress? What is that worry telling you is actually important to you in this situation? You know, we we only hurt where we care. And so I love to have that approach as well when working with people who are struggling a little bit more. And what do you say to the young person that says, I'm a person of faith, but where in the world is God in the middle of this anxious moment? What do you say to a young person who is thinking that? You know, there's two levels of response to this in my mind. I think personally, where I'm coming from in my own disposition, 
is a sense that God is here. God is with you. His name is Emmanuel. In the midst of the darkest seasons, in the darkest night, he is there and he is the light that can shine through. Yet that's not necessarily the approach I would recommend, right? I think bringing kind of the cognitive element and the teaching element is not what a young person needs to hear in that moment where it feels like God is gone. Instead, I think that we can take a moment to reconnect ourselves with what we believe that God is present to us and to them, but that we can be the vessel of God's presence, that we can show with our presence that God is with them, even in the uncertainty, even when they can't see him. And so I think it means having a willingness to acknowledge the pain, not to refute it or change it or fix it even, but to truly be present to them with empathy, with a listening ear, and to show that someone who loves them and cares for them can see them and can be with them even when it feels like it's impossible. You know, compared to a, what you might think is a fluff answer of, hey, God's with you. Let's check in next week. Let me just sit with you. Let me dedicate time to be with you. Let me ask good questions and even more than what I want to say to you, let me just listen to what you have to say and try to understand what you are experiencing. And I I think a lot of young people, if they are on some kind of a faith journey, they may not see the presence of God in the moment, but in reflection back in the way that you showed up when they were in their pain, I think they'll see some glimpses of God in the fact that we chose to be present, you know, in that moment. What would you want to say to somebody They know a young person is struggling, but they are so fearful. And I'll even say they are anxious about engaging with a young person who is anxious because they're worried about saying the wrong thing. What would you say to somebody who is kind of thinking along those lines? I totally get that. You know, I think it even happens to me sometimes as a professional where there's a situation that's particularly complicated, where emotions are running really high. And there's a sense of, what if I do say the wrong thing? You know, I think I'd like to take a little bit of the pressure off of that and note that sometimes we don't even have to say anything at all. And I think that is what compassion is, the presence in pain, being willing to be with in suffering. And our presence is the thing that matters most. The ability to actually show up fully to give our full selves and attention and to be open to whatever a young person is ready to share. In that light, you know, I think as long as we're staying away from directives of you should do this or have you tried this or maybe you should, whatever, all those shoulds, I think we should leave those aside. And if we're willing just to ask curious questions to understand what a young person is experiencing, by and large, that is a healing experience by itself. I'd also like to point out that you will make a mistake (laughs) if things are running tense like that. You will say something and that's okay too, because actually the act of asking, the act of asking shows that you care, that this is important enough for you to be uncomfortable as well, right? To take a risk yourself. And I think young people really do appreciate that. 
it goes even with the extreme cases of, you know, we think asking about suicide, asking about thoughts of harming yourself are really taboo, really uncomfortable, could really blow up. In a lot of cases, even if someone has not been thinking about that at all, they take it as a real sign of care and they feel really loved and cared about that someone thought to ask just how they're doing about something that is really prevalent and a concern among young people these days. Caring about a young person, our goal is not to solve problems. Our goal is to be present with a young person and just, absolutely, you know, stepping into that space, knowing that you are going to say the wrong thing at times and it, your words may not come out with maximum clarity in the way that you hope that they will, but there is power in your presence of you just being with that young person. And I want to thank you, Aaron, for giving us the courage to ask some of those tough questions that we often have anxiety about asking. You know, have you ever thought about taking your own life? Have you ever contemplated harming yourself or harming other people? And I think we often think if we say that, like you mentioned, it's going to make the situation worse or it's going to fuel those feelings that a young person may be experiencing. And so I want to thank you for giving us maybe a little bit more courage to ask those pointed, tough questions, because in asking, it lets a young person know that we care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't ask, but you do care. And so you're going to take the step to ask. And that's a particularly scary one to ask for a lot of us, you know, and I think it helps to know that asking about suicide doesn't increase the likelihood It's not like an inception question that's going to get young people to start thinking about ending their lives. It really just is a question to check in and to show that you care. And it can also be scary, I know, because what happens if they say yes, right? It's not something we like to think about, but that increasingly one in five young people in the U.S. are having thoughts about ending their life and and one in seven have gone as far as developing a plan for it. And so this is just very prevalent. So I think it also helps to know that if they say yes, your immediate job is not kind of crisis mode, fix it, right? Like, I think instead it's to continue to offer your presence to at least for that moment, kind of any judgment that you might be experiencing inside to suspend that, any anxiety in yourself that you notice, take a moment to take that deep breath yourself and see if you can continue to offer your presence to hear them, to hear what they're experiencing. And then you can move on to next steps after that. And sometimes, you know, that means bringing parents in if they're supportive. Sometimes that means going to the hospital. Sometimes it means getting connected to a professional who can walk with this young person and their family through the next steps. In my ideal world, we could get young people connected to some additional help and support long before they've kind of reached the point where they're thinking about ending their lives. Instead, I think it really helps to to invest in paying attention to what's going on in young people's lives because there are a lot of early signs and indicators that we really can't miss if we're plugged into young people's lives and what's going on. So a lot of times if they're still in school, we start to see things like increased absences, difficulty in school. But other than that, we can see young people maybe becoming more withdrawn or sometimes kind of hypersocial and letting everything else fall to the side. 
a lot of increased interpersonal conflicts, whether with family, with friends, or with you, kind of that irritability that can sometimes be there. Anything that starts to feel like, wow, this is kind of a big shift that I've noticed in this young person over the past few weeks or month or something like that. Something feels off. Something feels different. I would allow yourself to pay attention to that sense, to that gut feeling. And that that is the point to ask, to check in. What's going on? Has there been a change recently? Like to me, it's, I've noticed these things. Is that something you're noticing as well? Like, is there something contributing to that? Can I be a support to you in any way? And it's in those moments that I think it helps to be able to listen, to hear, and then to offer some options. And that might include getting connected to a therapist. It might involve just kind of following up and having a few more conversations and just being a support to that young person. And as things kind of get more challenging, I think it starts to become increasingly clear in my mind that a therapist, a professional would be really helpful. Because ideally, we want to get support earlier before things have become much more challenging for the young person to manage. When it gets to the point of talking about suicide, about talking about ending their life, I think in the first, in the first few minutes there, it really is about offering a sense of openness and of stability. A lot of times there comes a lot of shame a lot of guilt with having these types of thought. And so if we immediately kind of kick into the less solve it mode, it can communicate that, you know, something is really wrong with you. You're broken, right? We need to fix you. And that can, that can almost like compound the hurt in some ways. And so instead, I think the first thing that we can do is to offer compassion, the willingness to be with them in the midst of their pain, to let them know that, we see how much they must be hurting to be having these thoughts. And I think it's from there, after we've communicated that we see them, we see that the pain they're holding feels like it's too much to carry, that we can offer to come alongside of them and we can offer them some potential supports. You'll have in the different states, in the different regions of the world, you'll have your own guidelines about what to do legally in those moments. And I think it's important to obviously follow those, but to not get so caught up in like, this is the checklist of things that I need to do that we lose sight of. We have a young person in front of us who is in a lot of pain, who is probably kind of scared about what's going to happen next and to continue to be with them to walk them through the process, the options. Sometimes that means being firm and saying, this is what's going to happen next, but I want to be a support to you in the midst of that. I want to answer any questions you have and just being willing to walk with them in all of the uncertainty of that moment, I think can help us get to the next step of of actually getting connected to those resources. Down the line, I think it's important to follow up and to show that you are continuing to care. This can be really hard. I want to acknowledge for many of us who care deeply, and I know much of your audience is not professional counselors, right? It is, in my mind, not their job to be managing kind of the treatment element or to be the primary support. Instead, I think it's about continuing to show that we care and being willing to 
checking about how it's going with these other supports and to be a facilitator in that process rather than taking the burden upon yourself. For anybody who wants to support the mental health of young people, start being present right now. Start showing up right now. And you mentioned that whether it's before a crisis hits, in the middle of a crisis, or even as a young person is processing a crisis, be with them long term. Just because you connect a young person to a resource or to professional help doesn't mean you drop that young person relationally. If you have capital with them, if you've built up this connection, check in. And what you said was so key that for those of us who are not professionally trained counselors, our role is to facilitate the care, support, and resourcing of young people. So keep checking in, keep asking questions, and keep showing up. Yeah, and I can tell you, it is so exciting and fun for me in the times when I've been able to work with a young person who is also actively engaged in some form of mentorship with a faith leader and to get to coordinate sometimes too. That is a really enriching experience and to see how helpful it is for a young person to, to yes, have kind of the professional care side, but also a trusted figure in their life who they can talk more deeply and fully about some of the spiritual elements and and really draw deeply on their faith as well. What are some of the best resources in supporting the mental health of young people that you would offer to parents who are saying, I want to learn more. I want to be better equipped. I want to lean into being a better facilitator for young people. What are some of those key resources that you would offer parents? Sometimes I hesitate because I think the reality is that for a lot of parents who have a young person who's struggling and maybe has been struggling for some time, it feels like you've probably dug into a lot of the resources and it's tricky because no one can be the answer and no one will speak directly to your child, to your grandchild, to those circumstances. And You know, at the same time, I think that it can be really helpful to focus on some additional resources for yourself. So I'm going to spin this away a little bit and say that actually, I think one of the biggest things that we can do as parents, grandparents, as people who are caring for and supporting young people is to actually make space for ourselves and all of the things that we're experiencing. Because it is brutal. It is painful for us too. Some of that shame and guilt can even show up in our lives. And we can be asking ourselves the question of, what did we do wrong? How could I have done something differently? It can be really easy to kind of get trapped in our own pain. And so one of the resources that I like in general for all mental health related things is actually a book called a liberated mind. And it's about some simple skills, six skills that can help us to find a little more flexibility with our thoughts so that we get a little less stuck so that we can start to make some new moves. We can get connected to the things that matter to us, that we can take concrete steps to do what is important. And that helps us to better show up to the young people in our lives. 
with our full selves, with all that we can to offer, instead of getting kind of ensnared with all of our own stuff that's naturally coming up. You know, you've got to be at a place of health yourself so you can actually be present in the life of that young person. And do you think, Aaron, both of those can happen simultaneously? Like you can, you can be working on your own support for what you're going through while you're still showing up and being present for a young person? Absolutely. Challenging for sure. And yet I think it is the critical shift that we can make when things start to feel out of control for us. You know, when we're like, I don't know what more I can do. I've read the books. I've read the blogs. You know, I've done these things. I've tried this and that. We can feel like we're out of control. And this can be a moment to say, okay, well, one thing I can control is to give myself a little bit of the space I need to actually take some steps so that I'm in a better position to be fully present and to offer the best that I can. Because the reality is the pandemic has been particularly hard on parents too. It's not like young people are the only ones affected. Parents have gotten a really rough go of it as well. All of humanity right now is struggling. And I think that's really important to remember that we get depleted too. And if we have nothing to offer, it's pretty hard to be effective, especially when young people in my mind are pretty good at sniffing out the BS. They know when something's off. They know when you're feeling hypocritical to them or whatever it is. And I think that is an additional point to consider in my mind as well. What hope would you offer, Aaron, the leader who is just deep in the trenches of mental health struggle right now against the landscape of the last two and a half years? They're in a place where they know they're not doing well. What would you say to a leader who's in that place? I see your pain. It is hard right now. And in a lot of ways, especially if you're in a leader where you're in a position of caring for other people, it can feel like you need to put them first. Like you are called and required to do that. And there's always space for one more person to care for. And maybe you'll come later. But God cares about you, about how you are doing and what is going on in your heart and mind. And I think it really is a powerful shift that we can all make, all of us, no matter what position we carry, to allow ourselves to do some of that clarifying work that comes in the pause, that comes in a moment of reflection. What are we called to do? Can I get back in touch with that sense of meaning and purpose for me? What excited me in the morning to get up and to do this? What excites me about working with young people? And what one small thing can I do today? Maybe it's send a text. Maybe it is meet up with a young person. Maybe it's simply to pray for a few of the young people in your care. And just to take that simple next step of this is one tangible thing that I can do today to live out the richness of God's purpose. Because the reality is being in this leadership role has two sides. It can be a heavy burden. And it can also be a great joy. In the last two and a half years, I think there are so many of us as leaders who have gotten out of harmony with our purpose because there's been so many things going on that we've been pulled in a million different directions that maybe it's a time to rest and reset 
on what that purpose is, on what our calling is, on who we are, on what community we belong to, and just kind of do a rest and reset as leaders. When you think about communities, faith communities, church communities, or even the marketplace, businesses, what can communities do to better support the mental health of those who are in their community? I love that question. You know, I think a lot of times we think of mental health as being this kind of emergency response type of topic. However, one of my big passions is about mental health promotion, about how can we actually offer a vision of a full life, a rich life, a meaningful life, one that imbues vitality. And in my mind, the church can be the epicenter for this because that is what a life of faith of following God is about. And I think that we can speak to hope and we can speak that truth into our communities and that we can also take concrete actions to be a place of community, of social support, of being able to actually break through some of the loneliness that has become so pervasive in our world, particularly over the past several years. And to say that there is, there is hope here. There is a life that is worth living and to invite people into that. That's a great approach. Not that we are neglecting those tough conversations about mental health and anxiety. Those are crucial, essential, and important, but also recognizing that you are going to help your community rise by helping people be successful in the areas of life that matter most. Help them be successful personally. Help them be successful in their marriage, financially, in their parenthood journey or their mentoring journey. And it goes back to where we started today. We are whole people. And with our whole selves, it matters to speak to each of these pieces because that is life abundant. That is life to the fullest when all of our different things and passions that we care about come together and are able to rejoice in taking that next step each day. You know, I think importantly, I believe that this is possible even in contexts where there is great challenge, where there is great adversity. I believe that all people were created to thrive and to flourish, even in challenging circumstances. And that we as a community and as leaders can offer a vision of that, can invite people into that, and that that can be radical and life-changing. The past few years have really encouraged me to try to practice what I preach. (laughs) I think my own limits have been stretched as well. And so when it comes to that, some of the basics, some of the stuff that we all know we maybe should do or something like that, those have been valuable for me. Things like making sure I'm eating a good, healthy diet. (laughs) I go on a half hour walk or so every day. I take time in prayer and meditation. And I try to actually do some of those simple, small things that I can to take control in the midst of things that feel uncontrollable. For me, that a big part of that is my clinical work, is offering psychological support to people and taking steps forward in the nonprofit work that I do in more global context of how can I offer some of these same skills that I'm finding valuable How can I offer that to more and more people? And so that's what gives me passion. That's what energizes me to keep going despite 
a lot of difficult days. If you think about everything that you've written as a mental health professional, maybe it's journal articles or the the content that you've shared from a speaking platform or even one-on-one, if you think about all of that, Aaron, being erased and gone, what do you think would be your primary message that you would want to share with the world? For me, the message I would want to communicate is that each and every person has the ability, has the potential to live a life worth living and that it is possible even in the midst of the inevitable pain of life to find freedom, to find the ability to take the small purposeful actions on a daily basis that bring life to us personally, but that also liberate us to seek the same freedom, the same joy for those around us, for the people we love, for our community, and for our world. What would you recommend that a listener could do for a young person in the next 24 hours if they're already thinking about a young person who is struggling? Should they call a young person? Should they send a text message? Should they show up in person? What would you recommend in the next 24 hours? I'm going to say, trust your gut on this one, that yes, I think communication is absolutely the right step. There are some young people that will never pick up the phone, no matter who's calling, right? And there are some young people who are going to only want to talk via text and not in person. And I think that's okay to, to meet them where they're at too. But I would say to trust yourself and what you know about this young person, that it's okay if things don't go smoothly. But to be the one who's willing to take the risk, to put yourself out there, and to show that you care just by reaching out. When you think about somebody being a great leader, not a good leader, but a great leader, how would you define a great leader? For me, a leader is someone who embodies the fullness of presence to others in a way that is open that is supportive, and that is seeking the best for others, for others to reach their full potential, their full freedom, their full empowerment. And for me, that's what gets me really excited about developing as a leader and seeing other people come alive as leaders. To be present in a way that unlocks the potential and empowers other people to be all that they are called and created to be. That's the heart of the Rise and Lead podcast as well. So yeah, I think we're going to end there. Aaron, thank you so much for just being a voice of hope during a very challenging time. Thank you for the work that you put into supporting the mental health journeys of young people and beyond. And it's work that matters and what you're doing matters. And so I just want to affirm you of that and say thank you for doing what you're doing. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for hosting this conversation as well and bringing it to people. I'd really deeply appreciate that. I hope this episode on the mental health crisis among teenagers and young adults and how we might respond better impacted and inspired you. Send me a DM and let me know. I read every message that comes in. Make sure you screenshot this episode and share it with someone and post it to your social media accounts. 
Don't forget to tag me so I can give you a repost. I know there is someone who you know who needs to hear this episode. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Seriously, that means the world to me. Look for new episodes to drop every month. You won't want to miss those. Thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself. You are worth it. Remember, the best time to rise and lead is now. Now.